Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 23. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of a digital nomad slash full-time RVer magazine called Rootless Living. On this episode, I chat with Mike and Sierra, the duo behind Made to Cut, and today we get to talk about what it's like to create a business from scratch so you can hit the road full-time. And if that wasn't enough, we also talk about what it's like to build your mobile home from the ground up. Before I get too ahead of myself, let's get into the episode. All right, and with that, I want to welcome Mike and Sierra to the show. How are you guys? We're great. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, we're really excited. I'm excited to share your story too, and I don't want to get too far ahead. I want to keep it kind of where maybe we can uh, surprise people somewhere in the next few minutes. But what I'd like to go do is go back to before January of 2019. That's kind of the date you guys gave me is when you really became this full-time lifestyle. And let's talk a little bit about what your life looked like before in regards to kind of what you're doing for a living and where you were living. Yeah. So before we took off initially in January, 2019, we were living in Charleston, South Carolina. Specifically, we were living on Folly Beach, which is a little island town right outside of Charleston. And our lives looked pretty much, you know, like any other normal, typical lifestyle. We were, you know, for me, I was working as a paralegal, driving to work every day, working, you know, the typical nine to five. And for Mike, we, he was actually starting our current business, uh, Made to Cut. So he was able to you know, get the ground running for our small business. Nice. And where did the idea come to say, you know, what, we want to travel and like just live nomadically? Where did that idea come from and how long did it take before you guys actually launched? It's interesting to think back to that. Um, you know, we both had really wanted to travel more. Mike had had more travel experience than I had. Um, but we had also traveled together to South America for a few weeks and we knew that, you know, we wanted to live our life differently after that trip. Um, we had actually planned, we were looking for other states in the U.S. to move to, preferably out west, um, but we knew that it was kind of going to just be more of the same thing that we were already doing as far as paying rent and one of us having to go work a part-time job and we wouldn't be able to dedicate all of our time to building our small business. So that's kind of when tiny living came into our views. Were you thinking mobile tiny living even back then or were you thinking more stationary? We never thought about stationary tiny living uh, more because we were, we were really starting from scratch um, and we kind of just took a look at what we had to work with. And what we did have was a good tow vehicle. And we, you know, we looked at the idea of moving, like we said, um, but that would take a whole lot more resources. Um, and we just kind of looked at what our options were right where we were with what we had. And that seemed to make sense. Now, Sierra, are you still doing paralegal work ended up with a remote job or is it just all with made to cut right now? No, yeah, we're all with, you know, full time working on our small business. You know, I left that job, you know, when we left in, you know, back before January 2019. So that's when, you know, Mike had already launched the business and we were already making sales and generating income from that. Once we saw that we were able to generate 
a decent income and you know make a small profit from just the very beginning we knew that our opportunities were endless and we knew that if we were both able to dedicate all of our time to the business we would be able to grow it and hopefully you know make our wildest dreams come true you know a question i see all the time is people obviously ask what do you do for a living to be able to live and travel on the road so for you guys to start your own thing is really great what was the time from from day one until when you left how much time did you guys spend on the business before you guys could actually launch full-time so so uh, we started on the business uh, on etsy in february of 2018 and we we left our apartment January 2019 so so we had almost a year of just kind of working out the kinks of the business which since it's a hands-on kind of work we we had to create a lot of tools to be able to do the things to make the things that we make and kind of figure out how we can package it all down so that ultimately we can take it into a smaller platform like we've done now. I think it's really amazing that you did this in under a year. I think a lot of people get caught up in the, I'd like to do it. I probably could start something that I enjoy doing, but it'll just take too long. You know, most people spend about a year planning to start something. You know what I mean? To hear you guys got it up and running to the point where you felt the income was enough there to go full time is awesome. I believe Tim and Finn that were on my show that were creating products and selling on Amazon. They weren't actually making the products. They were buying them overseas, but they did the same thing for about a year. And once they saw that the income was steady, then they were able to launch. What did you guys get into? I mean, obviously you're, you're working with what you had. You already had a tow vehicle, which is great. I think a lot of people overthink that and it causes them to kind of stall out. So you already had the tow vehicle and you had to go look for a trailer and it sounds like a very specific trailer. So how did that go about and what did you guys end up doing? It was a huge learning curve, especially for me. Um, you know, Mike was an engineer, so he has a degree in aerospace engineering. So he had a background, a design background, where we knew that you know we could build pretty much anything we wanted on a reasonable scale. We thought about vans, we thought about um, school buses, we also of course looked into a little bit of RVs, um, but what really made the sense to us was you know, the financial aspect of it and really you know, building it ourselves. We saved a ton of money, um, more than people would actually expect, which has allowed us to you know, do more things and expand our business. Wait, so you built a trailer like from scratch or you bought something used and fixed it up? No, we didn't build the trailer ourselves, but we did make our own additions to it. So as far as we welded on an extra two feet of space to the trailer to extend it a little bit. And then we also ripped out the original subfloor planks that were on there. And we were able to put in our own... Um, lightweight structure to serve as our subfloor. Okay, so just so I'm following, this is just like your everyday kind of, it's got like a drop down door in the back and you would load a car into it, but it's an, it's an enclosed box basically that you guys got in yeah. the Oh, okay. We began with a, a flatbed trailer. So uh, just a frame with no walls, no anything. Right. Gotcha. It, it was just, it was covered in uh, two inch thick solid wood beams that supported uh i think like a atv or something that they were hauling with it before, before gotcha. we got a hold of it. so then you guys basically bought 
the foundation, you made your foundation a little longer and then went ahead and built everything else around it. So, I mean, obviously completely custom. And, and what you're saying, if I hear you, that instead of buying like a, a used travel trailer that has some of the components, it's actually cheaper to buy a frame and build it, especially if you have the skill set. I understand that that's a variable in that, but it's actually a lot cheaper than that. Is that what you guys are saying? Yes, that's what yes. that's what worked for us. I mean, you know, everyone's situation is different, and you know, we wouldn't just recommend anyone to you know build their own travel trailer, but. It definitely it worked for us because, like I said, you know, Mike had the design experience and we were both willing to put in the work to build the custom tiny house that we wanted. That's really interesting because, I mean, even I don't have any of that kind of knowledge or expertise or would even think of taking that on. I mean, trust me, I wish I did. But even in the projects that I can take on, like removing a couch and making it an actual office, but the idea of making your home and workshop, I'm assuming for the business really custom to you guys has to be really great because it's really, you know, it's just your imagination and what you think you guys will need. How long did that take from the time of purchasing the frame until you guys left? How long were you working on this trailer? It gets a little a little complicated because we actually started this journey with a different house. So for the first house that we lived that we built and we lived in, um, it took us about six months of you know from buying the trailer to figuring out you know the design and the floor plan, how we wanted it set up, and actually building it. You know, it took around six months if not a little bit longer as far as you know planning and doing research and figuring out what we needed and so we left in january 2019 with that house and then unfortunately we were involved in a highway accident in less than a month after we had left and so then we basically had to start over after that Oh, wow. I, did you guys buy new? Did you build new? What did you guys do? So <laughs> we we were able to salvage a lot from the previous house that we had just finished building. Then we were able to take a lot of that material and rebuild the current house that we have, which took us around three months to build. And now that you know what you know now, would you continue to do it this way or would you have bought and purchased something used and refurbished it? We would continue to do it this way. We we consider ourselves very lucky in a way to have had the chance to rebuild the house because we learned so much in that in that one month um that we that we traveled with our first house. You know, we went through that period of oh it would be nice if we had done things this way or or that way and so we were able to think of things that we would have changed and we we got a second chance to do that so we we see it we see the accident as a blessing in disguise in a lot of ways i actually really like hearing that i think a lot of people never look at the the upside of something or even things that terribly go wrong how it able to uh, kind of affect you and, and fix things you just normally probably wouldn't do you probably would have just hunkered through with what you had which is nice to hear that you guys were able to almost bionic trailer rebuild it to where it's better kind of a thing <laughs> Hope I'm yeah. not dating myself and <laughs> mention a series from like the seventies. Um, so that's awesome. So okay, so the the home is up and running. You guys are 
You guys are cruising along. Now, I definitely want to talk about made to cut. You know, a lot of times when I have people on the show that own businesses, I think there's this idea of, oh, we had them on the show. You know, they probably paid him to talk about their business. Absolutely not true. No one can ever buy their way on the show. It has to be an interesting story. A lot of times I don't even know they have a business that's really kind of unique. I actually, the, the notes that I got where you guys built your own trailer, that in itself was just really cool and interesting. And I hadn't really spoken to anyone that has built one from basically the ground up. Let's talk about the business a little. What is Made to Cut? So we like to describe ourselves as, you know, we are makers of everything for your family, home, or business. And we make all of our products out of wood. So we consider ourselves to be woodworkers. Specifically, we make products using birch wood, which is a very sustainable material. We also power a lot of our business, our laptops off of solar power and we try to be as sustainable as possible. That's a big part of who we are. Give me an example of what something someone's ordering. I mean, I know it can probably be, you know, you think of it, we can build it, but what's kind of a, a regular item that people are purchasing from you? Right now, we have been working with a lot of other small businesses as far as making different signs for them. Um, open and close signs, in a meeting signs, or, you know, their logo signs. Um, but we also make a lot, we make a lot of various items. So, you know, we also, we have two dogs, so we make dog tags, and we also make things for kids, like, you know, like name puzzles, busy board. We have a wide variety. <laughs> nice. Do you guys have anything that's seasonal or the things that come in? I guess in my mind, I was thinking like, like custom Christmas ornaments and that's our big time. Do you guys have like a, a seasonal or is it just pretty much year round and custom orders as they're coming in? We did do some seasonal stuff this past Christmas um, where we offered you know, Christmas decorations and as far as like ornaments and stuff like that. But that was just for the season. And we, you know, we have year round products that we keep up. And I noticed too, in some of the notes is that you guys have only stayed in public lands. You guys haven't done the traditional campgrounds. And I know you mentioned solar. Is that true? Is that really how you guys have been traveling? That is true. Yes. Yeah, we have never stayed in a campground um, by choice. You know, we we are very active people. Um, we like to mountain bike, paddleboard, surf, you know, pretty much anything outside, you name it. Um, we like to do that. So we knew that when we were building the house, we knew we wanted to be able to to go outside after working all day and you know enjoy the surroundings around us and not that you can't do that in a campground i mean we we've seen some amazing campground photos um it's also about expenses for us you know we wanted to keep our overhead costs as little as possible so it just works well for us would you have problems going into campgrounds i know sometimes schoolies do because they're not technically registered and classified as an RV. So a lot of schoolies get turned away because they don't have a specific, I think it's like an RV ID or something to that effect. Would you guys be affected by that if you wanted to go into, let's say, a privately owned RV park? We obviously we haven't tested that, um, but, uh, but we, did, we did, we took our trailer to a campground, just the flatbed, and we had we were in, in the progress of a uh, of building um, and no problems there, but. So I, I guess the answer is we don't really know <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we don't because know. we've never tried it, but 
we actually we will be camp hosts this summer we've accepted a camp host position with a national forest campground so we haven't done that yet but we are you know set to be camp hosts yeah so at least that boundary uh we, we were able to cross nice and in regards to the machinery because i don't want people like cringing is it a bunch of saws and things like that like how has it been when you're in and around people what's the the process of creating the things that you're selling yeah well we uh our business is kind of centered around our laser cutter which is basically just a, the same as a generator running um, it outputs a little bit of smoke um, not a lot of noise or not anything like you would expect from a normal wood woodworking shop so we're kind of different in that way. Yeah, so thankfully we don't have to use a lot of saws or loud power tools. Um, you know, most of it is, you know, we design the computer, cut it out, and then, you know, we make the rest by hand, whether that's painting or staining or sanding, you know. Mm -hmm. So all of that's pretty, pretty quiet, quiet work. Is this going to be part of your camp hosting at all, or is it just you guys are just doing the standard camp hosting? Or are you going to be having any type of classes or things of that nature at this campground? No, no I mean, we haven't, you know, the gig That's that we got, idea. yeah, that is an interesting idea. You know, the, you know, we're just doing it to have a place to stay for a couple of months over the summer. Um, you know, it's, it's supposed to be in California. Of course, with the coronavirus, we're not sure we've been put on on hold a little bit um he said he would keep us updated uh, as of right now nothing has been canceled yet so we're still you know planning on doing it but you know as far as we know we're just going to be normal camp hosts and but if we could incorporate our business into that that would be awesome as well yeah i've never done the the camp hosting i mean it was something i kind of thought about as i was transitioning from the company i was working for to them publishing the magazine I never had an opportunity to do it. For you guys, that's going to be kind of interesting because it'll probably be, I will assume, one of your longer stays. I mean, if you're out in public land, how long are your stays traditionally? Yeah, so normally we stay for the maximum allowed time, which is usually 14 days, unless we talk with a ranger who tells us anything different or you know says that we can stay longer. So we like to travel slow, slower than a lot of other people. You know, we have friends who travel, you know, every other weekend, you know, to go somewhere new or even they move even quicker than that sometimes. Um, and we're, we're the type of people who we like to, you know, set up camp and really learn about the area, learn about the towns that we're driving through and try to give back to those towns by you know shopping at local farmers markets or you know local shops to you know support the local economy yeah just take time to soak up the vibes that's very cool i i feel like you you guys mentioned kind of a cool hack that a lot of people probably don't know i think the the 14-day rule i think is really there to protect if it's the wrong kind of people like people that are just going to move in and make it home forever. You know what I mean? And right, you, right. you can get to know the Rangers. There's a, a dry camping spot technically out in Lone Rock. Uh, a lot of people refer to it as boondocking, but I think anytime you're paying $14 a night, it kind of takes away the, the boondocking category for me at least. I got to know the Ranger pretty well. And he was like, you know, our services aren't open. It's off season. Don't pay it. Don't worry about it. If anybody comes by, just tell them I said, 
you don't have to worry about it. And then you don't have to worry about the 14 day stay if you don't need to either. And again, it's getting to know the Rangers, getting to know the locals. A lot of times you'll find out that that 14 day rule is not mandatory. They're not chalking your tires like you're in Santa Monica or something. They're going to come by. If you got that yellow chalk, you got to go. Right. Yeah. That's what we found as well. When we get to a spot and you know, we don't, we aren't really sure, you know, what's around us or if there's a ranger going to be coming by or if we should go into town and go to the national forest, you know, um, office and talk to them there. Yeah. So it's always it's interesting getting to know the locals, getting to know, you know, the people around us, especially for us, we go to the post office a lot to mm-hmm. mail out our orders. So we almost always become familiar with the the workers at the post office, you know, throughout our time when we're in a certain area. And it just feels good to, you know, take the time to interact with the communities that you drive through. We visit post offices a lot too, because people will, not only do we have when we ship the actual publication, we have people that sign up between publications that so will take it. The one thing, and I want to see if you guys run into this, I run into different rates for the exact same thing sometimes. And it kind of blows my mind where I'm like, no, you guys are a, you guys are kind of a franchise. <laughs> like there shouldn't be different rates that, you know, it doesn't matter if it's one stamp or 10 stamps. It doesn't matter where it goes. Do you guys ever run into that where all of a sudden you're shipping kind of the same thing and then it's a completely different rate or am I just running into some weird things? That's funny. Yeah, we have noticed, you know, we actually buy all of our labels um, through Etsy. So we don't yeah. actually pay at the post office but we have noticed depending on different areas where we're shipping out from or where we're shipping to you know there are some different rates so yeah we've definitely experienced some of that yeah it makes me laugh because the stamp is a stamp you know but then sometimes when, right. you get in, when you get into something that's just a little bit custom then all of a sudden it price varies and i'm like i don't get why this matters i've gotten back to the same actually post office and had different rates too and that's always wait wow. this can't be cheaper who i'm talking to this isn't starbucks i'm not getting a friendly deal here <laughs> so it's really cool it sounds like you basically are able to to run a business that i think a lot of people would think you wouldn't be able to run on the road something like you know custom woodworking you would feel like that would almost need to be a bricks and sticks where people could come in and they could look at samples and of that nature so it's really cool to hear that if you get the machinery you can build a a custom workshop and you can uh, get on the road and to hear that you don't really have to necessarily be in campgrounds too, which I think a lot of people would assume because you need 50 amp. Just the whole thing is really cool. I, I think one question I forgot to ask, how long are you guys able to stay self-contained in the, the rig you built when you're out boondocking? Are you, are you Could you guys stay longer than 14 days without having to go in and dump tanks and things like that? Or what's your guys's kind of max? Well, uh, we... We're limited mostly by water, and I, I use the term limiting lightly because we go into town every every two three days um, for to deliver orders, regardless. Uh, so we just kind of use it as a resupply trip, um, fill up a five gallon tank, uh, fill up on groceries, whatever we need, and that's just kind of become our our routine. Uh, every every two three days, we resupply, and it, it works well for us. We don't find it inconvenient. And as far as like we we didn't build a bathroom in our rig so we don't have to worry about dumping the bathroom tank or 
refilling water for our shower or anything like that. So I think that's another reason why we're able to stay in these remote places for a longer amount of time is you know, we don't we don't have those necessities like, oh, I, my you know tank is full, I've got to go dump it. Yeah, we hear about it a lot, but but honestly, we can't uh, we can't say we can relate much. When you guys were leaving the trailer to go into town, you know, what was your concerns? I mean, I had my own kind of feelings about the first couple of times I did that. How do you guys feel leaving it behind when you go into town? It's just out in the middle of nowhere. Totally. Um, yeah. So that can be a weird feel. It was definitely weird at first. Mm-hmm. You know, we're nervous about it. We didn't know like, oh my gosh, is someone going to mess with our stuff or you know, we do lock it up pretty well, you know, so that if someone did want to, you know, say, like, drive away with our house, hypothetically, you know, they would have to cut off a lot, like, you know, a metal lock, and it would, it would be a lot of work, you know, to, to try and get in the house or drive away with it so we've kind of after a year of becoming more comfortable with it we've kind of realized that most people are good you know most people aren't looking to mess with your stuff you know especially out here in these remote places it's a lot of like-minded people so you know we don't want people messing with our stuff but they also don't want us messing with their stuff and you know it kind of just is a balance. Yeah, I do think it's a, a little bit of a fake fear in the sense that there's probably a very, very, very low percentage of where something was stolen or went missing. I'm originally from Los Angeles. When my, my first year, I was still locking up my bikes all the time. I was, you know, locking the generator in the back of the truck. I now kind of look around and take a pulse of where I'm at. If I don't see a lot of things locked up that are out, then I leave it out. But if I notice my neighbors who some of them could be full-time stationary, and I notice they're locking stuff up, then I kind of take the pulse of where I'm at. But I do believe it. It is a little bit of a fake fear, and obviously I would load up all my, like, the things that really matter, my cameras and my laptops, and I'd take that in the town with me. Um, but then after a while I realized, you know, if someone's going to take it, they're going to take it, and I can't just be in it all the time. I can't let that limit my experiences. And so I really had no issue leaving it behind. The one tip I will give everyone that's listening, if you are out boondocking and you see a trailer and it doesn't have a vehicle, that is not a time to knock on the door and see who your neighbors are. Because for me, that has had that happen where my roommate will take the truck in the town and I'm in the rig and you knock on my rig and there's not a car here. I personally feel like you're surveying, like you're doing some recon. You know, the knock is to double check. And I hate that. Like, if the car's not here, don't knock on a rig at all. I mean, you really, really shouldn't knock on someone's rig even when the car's there, to be honest. Wait till they come outside. That one, when we're out in BLM land, and I had that happen once, I just felt like this was recon to see if anyone was home first. Definitely. Yeah, I I totally feel the same way. You know, I for anyone listening, we definitely agree with Devian. Do not just go, you know, walk up to anyone's rig and check to see if anyone's there. That is definitely very sketchy. And for us, one, I think, you know, one thing that makes us a little more comfortable is that we do have our two dogs with us. And, you know, oftentimes they, they will stay with our house or the trailer um, while we're going into town. So we, I do feel like that is a bit of a security system for us because a lot of people, you know, don't want to mess with two big dogs who are 
definitely going to bark if someone comes near the the rig. I will laugh when I'm in like Facebook groups and someone will say, you know, talking about this conversation of leaving your rig alone in BLM land. And they're like, you know, you guys are out there in Arizona and you go into town. How do you keep your rig safe? And someone will always say with my gun. And I'm always like, wait, your gun like auto shoots people when you're gone? Like, because... Yeah, you have a different gun than I do. Relax there, Terminator. <laughs> and Or they'll say, my dog, but I take my dog with me. And I'm like, okay, then your dog's not doing anything if you're taking your dog with you again. Right. Unless, did you teach the dog to shoot? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I highly recommend not teaching your dog how to shoot. <laughs> I always find those answers very comical. And yeah. someone once told me, you really lock your RV to keep the honest honest. Because right. if, if a bad yeah. person wants in your rig, I mean, you can take precautions and you can lock wheels and do things like that to kind of slow down the process. But to be honest, yeah. I think most rigs are stolen from storage yards than they're ever stolen from out in BLM land because right. you just right. don't know who's watching. You don't know if you're going to be coming up the road. How do you explain that when you get stopped leaving the desert and the RV owner comes yeah. back and blocks you on the road? Oh, I right. Know. I, it exactly. looked like it was, yeah, it looked like it was distressed and needed help. So I thought I would help. <laughs> well, I, I think this is a really cool episode. I think there's a lot of people here that, you know, that one, they're, they're, they're scared or they think it's going to take too long to start a business that they can start and move on. That, you know, that there isn't like the perfect trailer that if for some reason, if you can't find the perfect trailer, maybe look at building your own. It sounds like it's somewhat affordable, especially if you have some of the skill sets. I'm, I'm a big proponent for even buying something used and really customizing it to what you would want it to be because these things really are built for camping. They're not built for living in full time. And uh, running a business, you know, really out in public land, BLM land to DNR to, you know, wherever you guys are is pretty incredible too. And I think people are going to be excited to hear. I mean, you guys have really kind of thrown every obstacle you can at yourself to not be successful and being successful. Let's <laughs> yeah. be honest. I'll give you guys credit where credit's due. It's pretty awesome. Now, I want people to be able to find you guys. Where can they find um, both the business and then you guys personally, if you guys are creating content or, you know, there's a way to interact with you there. So let's first talk about the business. Where can people find you? So people can find us on Instagram for the business at made to cut. It's just at made to cut. And then, of course, you can find us on our website through Etsy. So it's just etsy.com slash made to cut. That's where you'll find all of our all of our products. And we are definitely open to doing custom products. So if anyone has any ideas or wants to collaborate with us, they can find us on there. And yeah, as we said before, our possibilities are lim limitless with the medium that we're working in with this birch wood. Um, so we can make signs, we can make anything, um, anything you can dream up, we're willing to, to try. And I got to be honest, when I heard you guys say that you made like open and closed signs, I thought that's actually really cool that a business would take the time to buy something really interesting, a talking piece. When you walk up and you see that, it's so much better than the Home Depot 79 cent flip around open close. I just as a business owner that's, you know, obviously done a lot in and around the retail space, those little things mean a lot to the customer experience. And you wouldn't think it, but it's actually really smart. So definitely check them out. Now you guys also have some stuff in and around uh, life in a caboose as well too, right? Yeah. So that is more of our, I guess, lifestyle page. You know, we post all everything from the business to just like our funny antics of living on the road on that page. So 
yeah, Life in a Caboose would be a good place to find us. And you can also scroll back on that to check out our, our build if anyone out there is interested. Uh, I meant say our builds. <laughs> oh, that you've done too? Yeah, actually, normally I do a high-low on this show where I'll ask someone, tell me your high, tell me your low. But I feel like the low was probably the wreck and the high was figuring out that this gave you guys an opportunity to kind of rebuild it the way you wanted. If I'm mistaken in that, then we could definitely do a high-low, but that seemed like it was already there in the story. Definitely, yeah. yeah. If I mean, you could look at the low, you know, as, you know, being, you know, getting involved in that accident and turning around and seeing six months of hard work laying on the side of the highway, you know, that was a very low point. And, you know, yeah. then the process to rebuild was also a very low point you know we decided to we decided to save money and live in a tent while building the second house so that was a very big learning curve and experience for us but in a way that has turned into the best experience as well it awesome. really was all about perspective um you could you could see our rig laying on its side in a junkyard as uh, the worst Thing that's ever happened to us or you could see it as an opportunity to, to take it apart and build it again and we chose the latter yeah i think it is a testament to both of you i think a lot of people would quit a lot of people would go in their mind that this must be a sign that we're not supposed to do this or something to that effect you know it's just it's a speed bump it can be a big speed bump but that's what it is and to push through and and have the life that you exactly want and doing the things you want to do and living the way you want to live it's worth all those sacrifices. And I think a lot of us forget that at some time. So I'm proud of you both. Don't even know you that well, but I'm proud of you both for, you know, <laughs> starting you. over and doing it. It's very Thank cool. Very well, thanks again for hanging out with me and talking. This was awesome. And I'm glad I'm able to share your guys' story. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. We are so happy we got to chat with you. Yeah, we're very grateful to have this opportunity. And uh, thanks for spreading our message out there. You bet. Thanks, you guys. Well, another fun episode. I truly hope you are encouraged to start thinking about a business you could probably create and start that will allow you to hit the road full time. Now, if you want to learn more about Mike and Sierra, you can visit them on their social channels or their Etsy shop, or you can grab a free digital subscription of the Rootless Living magazine and make sure to find them in issue number three. Before you hit stop, can you do me a favor though? Can you share this podcast and the magazine on your favorite social media channel? Don't forget to tag us at Rootless Living or at Rootless Living Mag on Instagram. It really helps getting the word out about the magazine and the podcast. And like always, if you think you know someone that would make a good guest or that guest might even be you, please send me an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com and let's see if we can tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.